The Western Balkans is well understood now as an important transit point for the smuggling of drugs, arms and people. But what's been less understood is how over the past few decades criminal groups within the Western Balkans region and the global diaspora have carved out a place within the very highest echelons of the criminal world. During the communist era, citizens of countries such as the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia were able to travel quite freely, and as a result, many went abroad to work. And although the vast majority of those who emigrated to various parts of the world were law-abiding, industrious and hard-working, others saw the new possibilities for crime. Starting with low-level criminal activity like racketeering and burglary, an activity which would one day spawn what Interpol dubbed the Pink Panthers, an international network of jewel and watch thieves. Over the preceding decades, criminal organisations from the Western Balkans have entered all criminal markets and have spread their tentacles across the world. From South Africa, Latin America and Western Europe to Australia, the United States and into Asia. Through a gift for learning languages, they have forged links with South American cartels, Italian mafia groups, Australia biker gangs and Turkish criminal organisations. Today, the professional criminals emanating from the region, who also have good language skills, are adept at using technology. They park their money offshore or in cryptocurrencies. They hide from law enforcement using encrypted internet-based communications and are active on the darknet. This is Deep Dive, exploring organised crime from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. Today we're going to be discussing a titanic report from senior fellow at the GI, Walter Kemp, called Transnational Tentacles, Global Hotspot of Balkan Organised Crime. It's a mammoth and fantastic report that looks at both the history behind the rise of criminal groups in the Western Balkans, but also the contemporary situation we find ourselves in. And I'm delighted to say that Walter Kemp, senior fellow at the GI, the author of the report, is with me now. Walter, let's dive straight in because we've got a lot to cover today. How do you explain the fact that there are so many criminal groups from the Western Balkans active in so many parts of the world? What this report shows is that there have been several waves of emigration from Yugoslavia and then Albania. People left in the 1970s and 80s to go work abroad. There were wars in Yugoslavia in the early 1990s. Then there was the cross crisis in Kosovo in 1999, and also people from the region joined uh, the large groups of people on the move in 2015. So there are a lot of people from the Western Balkans who live outside the region. There's also been a fair bit of unemployment in the region, a history of conflict, also um, socioeconomic vulnerability. And a lot of people, particularly young people, have kind of voted with their feet. They've left the region to look for better opportunities abroad. And a small percentage of these people are or became criminals. Is this a recent phenomenon? People used to leave the region in the 1970s from Yugoslavia. It was one of the most open parts of the communist bloc, not from Albania. That was one of the most closed countries in the communist bloc. But what this report is particularly interesting, it shows that in the last 10 years, 
criminal groups from the Western Balkans have moved up the value chain. So until about 10 or 15 years ago, they were pretty much at the bottom of the ladder, either burglars or couriers. But now, in some cases, as this report shows, they are the big fish. What are some of the hotspots that are identified in this report? We looked at criminal groups from the Western Balkans in South Africa, in Australia, Turkey, parts of Latin America like Ecuador and Colombia, as well as in some countries in Western Europe like the Netherlands, Italy and Spain. There are others in North America and Germany, but these are the hotspots that we looked at. And frankly, there are quite a few. Why did you select these places as a case study? Are there other hotspots which are not covered in this report? Yeah, as I mentioned, we think that there are hotspots in North America, in Germany, maybe the Scandinavian countries as well. We chose these ones because we have experts from the Global Initiative in these countries. These are sizable markets, and in some cases, there's quite a big diaspora from the Western Balkans. And that's very often an indication that there will be criminals from the Western Balkans in those regions. And I have to say that in some countries, like Ecuador and Colombia, there's almost no diaspora from these countries, Albania, Serbia, Montenegro. So it's interesting that that's not always automatic, that there are only criminal groups from the Western Balkans in large diaspora communities. And are these hotspots interconnected and are Western Balkan groups active in just one of these places or more? What's interesting is that you'll see groups active in Ecuador and Colombia, and they'll have links to others in Western Europe, as well as back to their home countries. We saw links between Latin America, South Africa, and Australia. So there are certainly networks between some of these groups in different hotspots. So it's like connecting the dots. What are the main commodities and criminal markets that these groups are involved in? It's mostly drugs, so heroin and cannabis, but in the past decade, certainly cocaine. And as I mentioned, these groups have moved up now to be big players in the cocaine market going from Latin America to Western Europe. Some groups are also involved in human trafficking, smuggling of migrants, and also the smuggling of weapons. And what are the secrets to the success of these groups? What is their business model? What we heard from people who have seen these groups operate is that they seem to have good language skills, so they can operate without too many locals assisting them. They certainly have a fear factor. They have a reputation. They're well integrated in the diaspora. And where there is no diaspora, they have developed good local contacts. But to give you a more concrete example, if you look at how they've now become dominant in the cocaine market, the cocaine distribution in Western Europe, it seems to be that they have access to cocaine at the source in Latin America. Then they're present in major European ports like Rotterdam and Antwerp. And this enables them to control end-to-end -end supply of cocaine. And as a result, they can drive down the price, maintain the quality, and knock the competition out of the market. So it's a pretty impressive business model. It seems that these groups, like the Serbs and Montenegrins, cooperate quite well abroad, but they kill each other in the Western Balkans. How do you explain that? Yeah, that's a strange thing. There seems to be good cooperation among groups from the Western Balkans when they're operating abroad. Some people even say that there's a Balkan mafia, but we didn't come to that conclusion. But there seem to be very few inter-ethnic tensions, which is strange when you consider the recent history of the region. 
no major intergroup violence abroad from what we saw. But on the other hand, dozens of people have been killed in a mafia war in Serbia and Montenegro in the past five years. So the difference could be partly because there's enough business to go around in the foreign markets, whereas in the region, people are fighting for influence in a relatively small market. How do Western Balkan criminal groups interact with local and other organized crime groups and networks? It seems that they interact quite well, sometimes as a more junior partner, but very often as partners. So they're, as I said, going straight to the source sometimes to get the cocaine, or they work closely with heroin distributors coming through Turkey. There doesn't seem to be a lot of violence in these relationships, which suggests that they're respected and efficient. Some of these criminals seem to come and go quite easily, for example, from abroad back to the Western Balkans. How do you explain that? In some cases, it seems that these people from the Western Balkans have more than one passport, very often an EU passport. So in the Netherlands, people would talk about people from Italy and Spain or Greece, but actually they were, they were talking about Albanians. In some cases, there's lax border control in the countries where these groups are operating. There are problems with corruption. And in some cases, the authorities are just turning a blind eye, either in the countries where these groups are active or back at home. Were activities of these groups disrupted by COVID-19? We see some evidence that there was a disruption of supply. And also, it was quite difficult for these groups to deliver cash because they very often would fly in and out of the places where they operate, and that wasn't possible with COVID. But they have adapted very quickly, and you also have to bear in mind that for some of the larger shipments, this stuff is going through containers, and that traffic has not been disrupted by COVID. And around 90% of the world's traffic goes through containers, and only 2% of those containers are checked. So this is a pretty low-risk business for the drug traffickers. Thank you, Walter. We'll speak again later in the podcast. Walter Kemp, a senior fellow here at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime and author of the paper we're discussing in this podcast, Transnational Tentacles, Global Hotspots of Western Balkan Organized Crime. What is one of the most remarkable aspects of this report to me is how it charts the rise of these organizations from low-level criminal activities to the upper levels they find themselves in now. And that's where we're going to turn to next and particularly focus on Albania. So let's speak to Fatjona Medini, the Field Network Coordinator for the Balkans at the Global Initiative. Fatjona, this report shows that over the past 10 to 20 years, criminal groups from Albania have moved up the value chain in some criminal markets, particularly the trafficking of cocaine. How did that happen? It has happened for several reasons, of course, and came as development 30 years after the country emerged from one of the harshest communist systems in the Eastern Europe. During the 90s, millions of Albanians immigrated in the EU countries, especially in the neighboring Greece and Italy, in search of better opportunities. During these years, criminal contingents as well had an opportunity to gain experience and learn, especially from the Italian Mafia. 
Toward the end of 90s and the beginning of 2000s, many Albanians in Italy served as cocaine couriers of Italian criminal groups. On their behalf, they would pick up cocaine from the Benelux or Spain ports and drive it throughout Europe. However, soon these groups started to create their own links to Latin America and be able to conduct and direct themselves the whole chain, from ordering the cocaine to its transportation and distribution to the streets. And what is the impact on Albania as well as the Albanian communities abroad, like in the UK or Italy? The increased criminality of Albanians abroad has taken its toll to the Albanian-EU integration process. Many international partners are seeing organized crime as dangerous as corruption, and they are asking for more efforts to tackle it. Abroad, these groups are giving a bad name to large diaspora that Albania has in these countries. It's helping as well the creation of dangerous stereotypes. And unfortunately, a part of the media in the UK is fueling these stereotypes even more, as Italian media has done decades ago. Now, some people talk about a Balkan mafia or an Albanian mafia, but this report suggests that these groups are much more fractured. What's your view? The research that we have conducted for the Global Initiative shows clearly that we don't have neither Balkan mafia nor Albanian one. What we have is criminal networks from the Balkans that in some cases closely collaborate with each other, overcoming even ethnic divisions. And what is the significance of groups maybe not being quite so monolithic as the media likes to portray them? Criminal groups from Albania are not monolithic. They are often loose networks of people, sometimes related by blood or friendship, in search of criminal opportunities. Albanian organized groups are highly pragmatic and easily can adopt in new environments. This also makes them dangerous. What are some of the reasons why some people from the Balkans get involved in criminal activity abroad? Criminality and drug trafficking is a widespread phenomenon and in Europe doesn't belong only to criminal groups from the Balkans. The reason why criminal groups from this region are extending their criminality operation abroad is simple. It's good for their business. Balkan is a source and an important transit point for illicit drugs, arms and human smuggling, but the main market is Western Europe. Just to give you an example, according to National Crime Agency, the UK cocaine market is estimated to be worth between 9.4 billion and 11.8 billion pounds annually and over 25.7 million pounds daily. Of course, being able to have even a small share of these markets become of greatest importance for these groups. Some of the images that you see of criminal groups from the Balkans suggest that they are just street gangs or hitmen, but this report shows that some of the groups and individuals are actually quite sophisticated in terms of how they communicate, operate, use technology and launder their money. Can you explain that discrepancy? Of course. With the time passing, these groups have sophisticated in many ways mainly because of their financial powers that they have been able to accumulate throughout the years. With this power, they are able to pay good financiers that would advise them on the best and sophisticated ways of investing their monies. On the other hand, untraceable mobile phones have become a must, making the work of the police very difficult. We have to keep in mind that their budgets in many cases are much more bigger than those of the police. And for these reasons, tracking them down is not always an easy mission. Criminal groups from the Western Balkans, let's say from Albania, seem to maintain links with their homeland. Can you elaborate on those links and are they as important as they used to be? 
Maintaining links with their homeland has been very important for criminal groups of Albania during the last three decades. First, because the country has been used as a ground where they could recruit loyal foot soldiers. Often they will recruit their relatives or close friends coming from the same area. This is of high importance in criminal groups because working with close people keeps the group disciplined and makes the work of law enforcement agencies difficult. On the other hand, for many years, Albania has been a safe haven for money laundering. Money of illicit activities has been mainly laundered in construction, real estates, and bar, restaurants, and hotels, especially in the seaside. However, from January 2020, the police in Albania started what is called Operation Power of Law, an effort to seize and later confiscate assets of organized crime. Latest reports from the ground indicate that this operation has created uncertainties among criminals, and some of them have already started to transfer their monies and assets abroad, in EU countries like Spain, let's say, but also in the East, in countries like United Arab Emirates. What is the impact of these groups on politics, security and governance in the home countries? In the last decade, we have seen that Albania is not only a main country where criminal groups launder their money or they use their monies in order to secure political protection, but also the country has become an arena where criminal groups revenge against each other. So the overwhelming majority of the killings that happened in the country are related with criminal disputes that have started in Western Europe streets. Of course, this is very concerning, as it is the fact that some of the money generated from criminal activities have been used by political parties during electoral campaigns. More transparency and scrutiny for political campaigns is needed, since often this is the starting point of the collusion between politics and organized crime. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, Fatiana. Thank you very much for this opportunity. That was Fatiana Medini, the Field Network Coordinator for the Balkans at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Next, we're going to follow a tentacle from the Western Balkans to Latin America. Between 2008 and 2020, Latin America became a hotspot for criminal groups from the Balkans. This happened for several reasons. Increased demand in the European and Australian markets, disruption in the supply of cocaine from Colombia in the wake of the 2016 peace agreement with the FARC, and finally the relatively low risks in trafficking from Latin America due to the pervasive climate of corruption, a number of legal loopholes, instability in some key countries such as Venezuela. So we're now going to turn specifically to Ecuador on the Pacific coast. Susana Moran is an investigative journalist in Ecuador who specialises in organised crime. Susana, the report suggests that Ecuador is a major hub for activity for criminal groups from the Western Balkans involved in cocaine trafficking. Why do you think Ecuador is vulnerable to such groups? Ecuador has become an international drug trafficking hub attracting mafias from various regions around the world, including the Western Balkans. Ecuador is a country where narcotic drugs transit and are stored due to its geographical location of proximity to the largest coca producer, Colombia. In 2019, Ecuador was ranked as one of the main cocaine exports to Beijing, along with Colombia and Brazil. 
The Ecuadorian police barely checks 1% of the containers that leave its ports. These controls only allow the seizure of 10% of the drugs that lead through Ecuadorian ports to Europe, where a gram of cocaine can cost 20 times more than in Ecuador. Ecuador also has other characteristics that make it attractive to organized criminal groups from the Western Balkans and from other regions, for example, lack of water controls, weak laws, and the easiness with which fraudulent documents can be bought. Also, the country's dollarizations and money laundering activities taking place play a role. Also, corruption in the judicial systems allows for impunity towards drug traffickers. This was the case with several citizens of the Western Balkans who managed to quickly get out of Ecuadorian prisons or be declared innocent in trials despite evidence being present. For example, in November 2018, an Albanian and a Greek citizen were detained in an anti-narcotics operation on the Ecuadorian coast. Both were accused of drug trafficking along with four other Ecuadorians. A court convicted the Ecuadorian citizens, but released the Albanian and Greek citizen. What is the modus operandi for such groups? Do they have local partners? Between 2014 and 2019, its main modus operandi has been to hide drugs in containers with illicit products leaving the ports of Ecuador. But even before they leave the port, the criminal group stores the drugs in cities close to Ecuadorian ports and transport it in vehicles that usually have hiding compartments. The drugs are often wrapped in charcoal to avoid detection and they always carry the symbol of the criminal organization that owns the shipment. The complicity of port officials is an important part of the criminal activities in Ecuador. They provide information of the destinations of the containers or help to hide drugs in the shipments. In 2019, the police discovered that they not only use large cargo ships to smuggle to, uh, drugs, but that they also buy their own boats, in particular sailing boats, which they equip with the necessary technology to cross the Pacific Ocean. Another important finding from this case is that they are sending the drugs not only to Europe. From the records and case review, it can be concluded that also Australia is an crazy destination for drug shipments. In Ecuador, a kilo of cocaine costs between $1,000 and $2,000, while in, in Australia it can reach values between $60,000 and $80,000. In Ecuador, the Western Balkans groups work closely with Ecuadorian groups or mafias. Some of them are family clans that dominate the logistical tasks of the illicit business. For example, in the case of Operation Balkans, Ecuadorian gang identified was related to a former governor persecuted for years of, for trafficking to Europe. They have also been involved with Peruvian or Colombian drug traffickers who came to Ecuador for various reasons, including to establish drug processing laboratories. At the same time, the Western Balkan mafias have also sent emissaries with extensive criminal records and with a great command of the Spanish language to Ecuador. 
Is there an awareness among the criminal justice system about the threat posed by criminal groups from the Western Balkans? And if so, is that a fairly recent trend? The Ecuadorian police has focused its attention on the presence of Western Balkans organized criminal groups in the country. The investigations have paid off and police operations have led to the arrest of some of its leaders in Ecuador. For example, in 2014, the Albania Dritan Rexvi, who had three read notices from Interpol, was captured. An international arrest warrant had been issued by the UK, Albania, Italy, and Belgium. He still remains in jail in Ecuador. Academic, prosecutorial, and police investigators in Ecuador have shed little light on any new criminal trends conducted by young drug trafficking. That that exists is a certain concern about their increased presence in the South American country, especially of the Albanian mafia. According to the police, between 2017 and 2019, 56 citizens from Albania who can be linked to illegal activities have entered in Ecuador. Does the issue get much attention in the media? This topic receives very little attention in the media and generally it is only reported in crime report columns in case when these groups are related to murders or attacks. In Ecuador, the news about drug trafficking mostly looks at Colombia or Mexican organizations that send their emissaries to Ecuador. But the European mafias, which are increasing their presence in the country, are a problem that is not widely recognized nor studied. Are you aware of any cooperation between law enforcement in Ecuador and countries of the Western Balkans? Experts in Ecuador argue that a large decline in international cooperation and intelligence exchange mechanisms can be observed. Furthermore, the Ecuadorian government continues to depend on its collaborations with the United States in the fight against organized crime. It has renewed related agreements since 2019, without paying attention to other cities such as Europe. However, an Ecuadorian anti-narcotic agency, which I recently interviewed, disagrees with this. This source assured that the Ecuadorian police had good communication with many of these counterparts. If there had not been exchange of information with our counterparts in Albania, Kosovo, Serbia, and other parts of Europe, we would not have been able to identify the organized groups that come here, he said in a recent interview. That was Susanna Moran, an investigative journalist in Ecuador who specializes in organized crime. Let's now follow the tentacle from Western Balkans again to South Africa. The report we're discussing today, Transnational Tentacles, Global Hotspots of Balkan Organised Crime, shows how the legacy of the past, such as the breakup of Yugoslavia, can catch up with those who try to flee it. In 2018 and 2019, South Africa was racked by a series of assassinations, and it emerged that many of the victims and perpetrators were from the Western Balkans particularly Serbia. Now, South Africa is not the first place that you'd think of when they talk about criminals from the Western Balkans operating abroad. So how do you explain the number of violent incidents, including assassinations? Here's Mandy Ween, a journalist, broadcaster and author of Killing Kevil and Underworld Exposed, 
It's interesting that it isn't the first place that people think of because in South Africa, the Serbian organized crime element actually has quite a high profile, particularly over the past few years, and a relatively negative one, unfortunately, because there have been a number of particularly violent incidents over 2018, 2019, where we've seen assassinations linked to this uh, Serbian criminal underworld. So I think, you know, that's why they, they have a bit of a high profile here. And they do seem to be linked to organized crime in South Africa. Not to say that, that all Serbians are, obviously. You know, there's quite a, a prominent Serbian expat community in South Africa that is contributing to the economy and running businesses and quite a strong cultural representation in South Africa. But there certainly is a view that if there's an assassination or some kind of of organized crime incident uh, with a certain modus operandi that it is linked to to Serbians or, or people from the Balkans in some way. A number of the people killed seem to have left Serbia quite a few years ago. Why do you think they came to South Africa in the first place? What attracted criminals? And is that still the case? So we, we saw a spate of uh, shootings that occurred around 2017, 2018, 2019. And most of the people involved were individuals that had some kind of link to paramilitary organizations in Serbia who had left in the early 2000s, most of them, and had actually been living in South Africa for a good decade or so. And I think the reason they came to South Africa was because it was a land of great opportunity. So what South Africa offers is its first world in many ways. So the lifestyle is very good for people that come to live here. If you have money and influence, and connections, you can live a very good lifestyle, but we still have a fairly porous criminal justice system. So you can get away with things and get away with crime. Obviously, we've got a very prevalent crime world. There's a lot of organized crime in South Africa, and there isn't a great deal of justice for that organized crime. So it offers, in some ways, the best of both worlds, where you can live a good lifestyle that is comparative to Europe or you know, to, to other first world countries, but yet we've got a criminal justice system that can be leveraged in many ways. And I think that's why many people who left the Balkans in the early 2000s chose to, chose to come here. And then also they attracted one another. So first few came and then others came as well. And they, they attracted each other and formed a community and, and sought refuge. And many of them hid out here because they could, they could hide and adopt different identities through corruption of buying passports and buying identities here. Now, some people say that the recent murders were a settling of old scores from the criminal milieu around the time of the Yugoslav wars, but say that there are indications people from the Western Balkans fighting for control of the cocaine trade in South Africa. What's your view? So there's no conclusive proof of either. There are conflicting theories about this. So some people say that it is a settling of old scores, that there's been intelligence that has infiltrated different mafias or different organized crime sectors and they are settling old scores and some have told or snitched on each other and that's why they are settling these scores. Others argue that it's actually over the cocaine trade and there are different factions that are fighting over the, the cocaine trade. The problem we've got in South Africa is that nobody's actually really been arrested or prosecuted. So none of this information has come out. So all of the information we have is from kind of intelligence sources or people who may know somebody in that world. Nothing has actually been ventilated in a court of law, apart from the one case around Dobrosov Gavrich, 
and the fact that he was arrested and he had assumed identity and that has come out, come out in court. There have been no other court cases here. So it's very difficult to actually work out what is going on. And in all of these assassinations that have occurred, there have been no arrests and no convictions. So we just don't know what is actually going on and who is behind it. Thanks, Mandy. That was Mandy Wiener, journalist, broadcaster and author of Killing Kebble and Underworld Exposed. Finally, let's just turn back to Walter Kemp, senior fellow at the GA and author of this report. We've heard from Faciona, Susanna and Mandy all discussing how these Western Balkans criminal organisations have inserted themselves into different regions of the world. So I guess my question to you would be, what can be done to tackle this problem? One thing that's important, obviously, is effective law enforcement. And we've seen in the last two years, there have been quite a few drug busts, major busts of cocaine uh, in the United States, in Latin America, also in Western Europe. And these busts are linked to groups from the Western Balkans. I think there needs to be more cooperation between police from the Western Balkans cooperating with the law enforcement services in the countries of supply and destination. These are not necessarily alliances that these police have already developed. We need to deal with the enabling factors in the Western Balkans. So reducing vulnerability to crime, giving people viable alternatives of employment, addressing corruption, and the whole ecosystem of criminal governance there. But I have to say, at the end of the day, what we need is to reduce the demand for the goods and the services that these groups provide, because you often hear a lot of criticism in sections of the media or some politicians making very alarmist statements about criminal groups from the Western Balkans. But few people point out that these guys are basically a delivery service for Western Europe's illicit markets. So there also is a responsibility on the countries and the governments where this stuff is going to to do more to deal with the problem. Walter, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Jack. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Deep Dive Exploring Organised Crime. I'd like to thank Walter, Faciona, Susanna and Mandy for a fascinating podcast. I would highly recommend that everyone should read this report, Transnational Tentacles, Global Hotspots of Balkan Organised Crime. It truly is a fascinating read and you can download it by clicking on the link to the summary of the podcast or by visiting our website www.globalinitiative.net where you can find loads of other content such as the latest Risk Bulletin and other podcasts such as Africa and the Global Illicit Economy. This is Deep Dive Exploring Organised Crime from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. We'll talk to you soon. During the 21st century, thousands of criminal assassinations have occurred worldwide. They produce a butterfly effect of trauma locally, nationally, regionally and globally. Despite these efforts to silence, criminal assassinations can be a source of hope and community resilience. He had a fire in him. He couldn't stand corruption and he wouldn't stop after exposing it. She was such a force of nature that when I first met her, I came away a bit shaken, a bit intimidated. He was a very pleasant, modest and humble person 
who dreamt about a time when all criminals would pay for their deeds. She taught us the fear paralyzed actions of the people. We will never give up, even if we got killed, even if they murder us. They didn't die. They multiplied. Thousands of brave souls have paid with their lives because they refused to tolerate criminal governance. In 2019, the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime commissioned approximately 50 profiles of persons assassinated across the world under the Faces of Assassination project. These profiles highlight places where organized crime has permeated political, cultural and economic sectors of society. Check out our website and join the campaign.